most of us know someone who either sees a therapist or maybe they need a therapist. One of the things I said for this year, I was going to start going to regular therapy. Still working on finding a therapist. I will keep y'all posted. But what exactly is mental health and why should you prioritize yours? We're going to kind of get into that today. If you ever wondered that, stay tuned. And you know how it goes. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Hey, kings and queens. Welcome to Define You Radio. I am your host, Valencia Griffin Wallace. And I am here with Queen Donna Barnes. She is a mother with a master's in clinical mental health counseling and so much more. So with that being said, let's go ahead and welcome our guest, Queen Donna, to the show. Hey, hon, how you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. I forgot to say you're an author as well. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I am. Of affirming me gracefully. Awesome, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about mental health. What exactly is mental health? So mental health deals with our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. So if we're not healthy mentally, which also deals with our cognition and how we think about things and process things, then it can affect how we feel and interact with others. It also can affect how we deal with stress and how we make our choices. So there are three causes of mental health issues, which is biological, meaning that it may be hereditary, um, psychological, and environmental. Okay, so that's the first time I've heard that part. So if you can go ahead and break down those three, that would be awesome. Okay. So biological, again, that's more hereditary, like the bipolar disorders or the more schizophrenia disorders. Children or adults don't just pop up with bipolar and schizophrenia as you may do with anxiety and depression. Those things, if you're bipolar or schizophrenic, that means someone in our family may have had that trait as well. So it's genetic. Psychologically, can also deal with our physical body, um, hypothyroidism, hypertension, and things like that. So those things, if we don't have enough serotonin in our body, that can cause us to sometimes have depression or can be linked to anxiety or ADHD. If a person's not getting enough sleep at night, that can cause to having mental health issues as well. Because if you're not able to fully get your sleep, then when you do wake up, you're not fully capable of thinking because you're operating off of less sleep. And your environment is the biggest part of it because that's where you're, where you are most of the day. So yes, you go to school or yes, you go to work, but you're still coming back to your environment. You're coming back to your household. So if your household is toxic and negative, just think about the type of mindset that you may have or you may develop due to the type of environment that you are in. Mm. And when you hear people say toxic environment, like we all kind of know what it is, but I think for the most part, we think like um, your friends or your workplace. I don't think a lot of people look at the fact that their home can be a toxic environment and I've never heard it used in the way of mental health. So I mean, I guess it's true. Like if you grow up in, 
you know, a negative environment, negative family, that kind of thing, you tend to be more on a negative side. Correct. That's just like for, for kids. And, you know, kids have a lot of anger issues nowadays. But when we look at the precipitator for their anger, sometimes we find that they have anger issues because they see their parents arguing mm-hmm. or they see their parents fighting. They witness domestic violence and things like that. So all of that can trigger an adolescent or a child, and that can lead to adult-like behaviors when they grow up. Interesting. So out of the three, which do you see more? Um, because I specifically want to talk about, you know, women's mental health, you know, especially black women. And we'll get into that later. Um, but out of the three things, which do you see more when it comes to women? More, I would probably say psychological. I would say psychological. And the reason I said that, say that is, and it could be a little environmental too, but more psychological because of the physical appearance. So some women, if they don't like the way that they look, that can cause self-esteem issues. And a lot of women um, that I have worked with does have self-esteem issues or they have something that happened that has caused those self-esteem issues, whether it was rejection, abandonment, their father not being present, their mom not being present, or their mom or father on drugs. So more, I feel, psychological. Mm. And I'm no expert here. I only could, you know, definitely talk and think about my own experiences, just me with learning to take care of my mental health And it had a lot to do with me changing my environment, which changed how I saw myself. And I think, you know, part of that was definitely the people I was around growing up. And I internalized a lot of other people's stuff. That's the best way to say it. I know like now it's a little bit more common. People are, you know, using the terms mental health more and talking about going to therapy and everything else. But do you still see that there is a stigma? Like, girl, you're not crazy. Why you need to go, you know, that kind of thing. Do you still see it being a stigma? I do. A part of me feel that there is still a stigma because if you think about pills, you know, you tell a person that they need this antidepressant or that they need um, ADHD medication. A lot of my people will say, well, I'm not crazy. So they attach medication to being crazy. Mm-hmm. So I make them realize that although you're on medication, you're not crazy because if you take Tylenol, Tylenol is a medication. You're not crazy because you take Tylenol. So there is still a stigma attached to it. Some people feel like, well, I'm not going to go tell someone else my business. You know, I'm just going to keep that to myself and internalize it. But they don't realize sometimes telling somebody who doesn't know you is better and can help you because they are going to be less judgmental than if you were to tell someone in your family. Mm. So I want to hit on two interesting things you said. First, Mm -hmm. uh, I never thought about the stigma in regards to medicine, but honestly, I could, I could see that, you know, I could see, you know, if I knew somebody was taking medicine for, you know, uh, bipolar or, you know, schizophrenia, I'd be like, I might want to stay away from you. 
I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, I don't know so much um, about the bipolar thing because the bad part about it is everybody is saying, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of people are saying they're bipolar. So it's almost like a has become a running joke yeah. to, weird, to when I really met somebody that was really bipolar. I thought it was a, a I don't want to say a joke, but I thought, you know, she was just BSing until I kind of saw some things in her. Um, so that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I knew somebody was taking medicine for schizophrenia, just because, you know, movies, the media does sometimes shape our perception. I don't know how I would, I mean, I don't know if I would want to be in close proximity of that person. I know that's bad, but I mean, it's the truth at the moment. And I think that's the stigma that um, some people still have attached to bipolar schizophrenia. So they aren't scary people. They aren't scary. They're human just like us. Just that's going to be more biologic, biological causes of their mental health issues. So it's, it's beyond their control. They don't, they don't have any type of control over the fact that they have that bipolar or schizophrenia that was inherited to them. And for some, if they don't take their medication, they may be worse off. But there are some that have had medication and might have got off, but they still have the therapy part of it. And mm-hmm. they can function. There are some who may, may still be able to function without either. Because some people can be in denial and they don't want to admit that they have bipolar or schizophrenia. But some people, again, are still able to function if they have that family support or if they shun themselves off. So they don't have those episodes that individuals are scared about. I think if somebody said they are bipolar, it's probably a little bit more quote unquote accepted versus schizophrenia, you know, like, um, and I'm just, that's my thoughts. Like somebody saying they're bipolar probably wouldn't stop me from interacting with them to some extent versus somebody saying that, they had schizophrenia. Yeah. But in schizophrenia, I think the only serious part, I guess, would probably be the paranoia sometimes that they may experience or the unpredictability of that individual. Mm-hmm. But still, it, it could be manic. With bipolar, if a person is manic, you don't know what to expect with them either. Rather hmm. than a person in their low state of depression. Interesting. I never thought about it like that, but even somebody that doesn't have those diagnosis, diagnoses, whatever the plural of diagnosis is, um, can still like flip out and go crazy. So that's interesting. The part about, you know, talking to um, somebody that you don't know, you know, that's why you should talk to a therapist. I think especially, I don't know if it's a culture thing or maybe a Southern thing how we were raised to, you know, what go on this house, staying, stay in this house and, um, you know, keep your, don't tell everybody your business. And I think that was one of the things that kind of kept people from going to therapy. So what are your thoughts on that? I, I believe the same exact thing. That is one of the things that could keep some people away from the, um, therapy because that's how they were raised. And I also use the term, you know, individuals like to see things under the rug. Mm. But what people don't realize is 
if you continue to see things under the rug, the pile is just going to get bigger and the secrets is no longer going to be under the rug because they're going to come out. Because the pile got too big under the rug. The rug is only going to stay flat for so long. Mm. So if we think of it from that analogy, well, if I keep sweeping this under the rug or if I keep continuing to keep this to myself, things are going to start speaking out. People are going to start noticing certain behaviors with me. And then they're going to figure out that I have this problem. Because it's eventually going to come out. We just want to make sure it comes out in a healthy way. Mm. I know a therapist, like at the retreat I did last year, we had a um, a therapist come in and we did group therapy. And there was like crying, tears, and all of it. it but it was like a freeing moment for everybody because they knew it was a, a safe place because like we... There were no, you know, phones involved and everybody opened up with something. Um, So when I look at even me and my mental health, and one of the reasons why I, you know, really want to do either group therapy or individual therapy is not that I'm having any particular issues with the exception of I think I'm too hard on myself. And I, I know, and this is the crazy part, because I know it goes, it was because of some things that was poured into me as a child that even now, and I'm in my forties, that I think I'm too hard on myself. And sometimes that, that can affect my mood, but not a lot. But I think maybe if I had somebody to just kind of, oh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that it would help. Your your thoughts, because I don't want people to think that therapy is just for people that's having some sort of mental breakdown. Right. And it's, it's not because sometimes we just need somebody to talk to to get it out of us. And nothing has to necessarily be wrong. So we might want to vent about work. Maybe work was just a little too stressful for us for that day. So sometimes you can just go to therapy to talk. And that you don't have to have a diagnosis in order to go to therapy. Because that's, that's all I want to um, do. And I think that we deal with a lot of pressures that, you know, as women, especially black women, we do hold in. Oh, most definitely. We have so many roles that we wear, so many, so many hats that we wear. We're a mom, we're a wife, we're a uh, aunt, we're a sister, we're a daughter, we're a niece. And sometimes that can be overbearing because it's like we're doing a lot. Who's coming to release some of that pressure that we're under? Hmm. So do you think, um, you know, when I talked about the stigmas and then we talked about, you know, sweeping stuff under the rug and everything, do you think it's more of a, a culture thing? Like, um, you know, more of a black culture thing, or do you think it's more of a Southern thing? Because in the South, we do kind of do things different. We have different values, a different way of living and so on and so forth. So if you kind of look at it from that way, what do you think? Or do you think it's both? Well, me personally, I, I would feel that it's more of a black culture thing. And the reason I say that is because I know in the black culture, we're, we're really spiritual. So we believe that if you pray, you know, that's going to fix the issue. 
or back again to what we're taught, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house. I don't think other ethnicities, ethnicities are taught that. They, I see more other ethnicities coming to counseling freely than I see our African American culture. Hmm. How can we, um, and this is just my opinion, kings and queens, take it how you want, but I think if nobody else gets therapy, I think black women should and need to because we do face more um pressure when it comes to society, especially when you look at like for years upon years, you know, we were told and some of us have internalized that, you know, we're not beautiful from our hair to our skin to our big lips to our big butt things people are paying for, including melanin. Yeah, I better Google that. But um, so, but it's a battle. Like you could speak to yourself so much and then everything that you see is speaking against that. So that's why I say, you know, black women, if nothing, just to vent their frustration with that, definitely need to go. We do need that, and we need those second opinions because our, our friends may not always give us the best advice. Our family sometimes is not going to always give us that best advice. But if we could have a third party or that other person that we could go to and express ourselves and see things from a different perception, that could really help us. And no matter how much we tell ourselves these positive things, if we don't believe them, nothing else is going to change. So it's a matter of changing the way we think about things. But in order to change the way we think about things, you want to have to do things different and hang around different people, as you have mentioned that you do. I agree 100% with changing what you can control, which is your environment. Um, the people you hang around, like just because you have, you know, family, don't mean you have to be around them all the time, especially if they're, negative even you know and as you as you grow and learn yourself I think people realize what's bad for them what's affecting their mental health but still are stuck in a cycle of come you know being comfortable with those same friends that same family doing the same type of behaviors yes and then sometimes what I do find is that women some women don't like to disappoint other people. Mm-hmm. And I find that with kids as well, they don't like to disappoint. So they do things so they don't disappoint the other person. And that itself is a problem because we're looking to not disappoint them, but what about us disappointing ourselves? But if you look at how people are raised with what they look up to, I guess. So for instance, you know, I always looked up to, you know, my grandmother and like my uncle. So I wanted them to be proud of me. Like it was more important for them to be proud of me more than it was for me. So if I did something I knew they wouldn't be proud of, like going out, we talking about back in my twenties now, you know, like going out or cutting up or whatever. I did not want them to know. I didn't care about anybody else knowing. I just, I wanted my grandmother to have a particular idea of me and my uncle to have a particular idea of me. And it wasn't till 
I got older and I realized the only person who I could truly make happy and proud of me is me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, or don't realize that or don't know how to put themselves first. I, I think that's a woman issue as well. Yes, not to myself first. And some women do because they don't want to come off as selfish. I know when I was younger, I, I never had a problem with saying no. So family, some family will always come to me and ask for this. And I would say no. And then I get the response, you're nothing but the devil. Really? Yes. So hearing those type of things could sometimes make a person feel bad. Like, well, I didn't mean it like that. I'm I'm just not going to do what you asked me to do. And some people internalize that and start beating themselves up all because they did the right thing by saying no, but their family made them feel bad for saying it. And it's, it's crazy. Cause I'll hear stories from, you know, like my grandmother's sisters or my mom's sisters or whatever about me saying no to this or no to that. I don't think that made me a defined child. I think that we try to program kids to do what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we want them to act or be a certain way. And, you know, I really am grateful for my no and that quote unquote defiance because then I would very much still be, you know, like status quo, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The perception of what other people wanted you to do. And I'm still not. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as a, as a therapist, now be, be honest, mm-hmm. do therapists judge even if it's just a little bit the people that talk to them this would i would say for me from my experience before you come in and before i meet you that might be my judging point because i'm just going off of a piece of paper they're saying they they need counseling for anxiety so my mind is probably wondering well what has them having anxiety what they really have going on and things like that, or even couples just coming in, like, oh, they have a marital issues. What kind of issues they they have going on? Or she must not be doing something. He must not be doing something. So my judging is pre-judging before I actually meet them, because once I actually meet them, I try to take judgment out so they can feel comfortable with being open with me. For the most part, I have done well at that. Sometimes I struggle because I make facial expressions based on some of the things that. The- the kids and the adults tell me, so I'm, I'm still working on that. But for me, the prejudging is before I actually meet that person. Because the, you, you don't know a person based on a piece of paper. I won't know them until I actually meet with them. And then when I actually meet with them, I'm like, oh, well, this is what happened. I got you this way. So this is kind of what we need to work on. That's very interesting. So even, and at one point in time, I wanted to be, like a therapist or something, but I don't do well with rules. And I know like there are certain things that you can and can't say um, when it comes to different, you know, things like that, being a therapist. And sometimes, I mean, I don't know if as a therapist, you could tell people like, just suck it up. You're going to be all right. Like, can you say that? That's like against the code of ethics. It might be a little bit against the code of ethics because if you tell somebody that and they go do something and you're going to be held accountable for that. <laughs> so yeah, no, but it doesn't stop us from thinking it sometimes. So. Right. And you got to handle people with kid gloves, so to speak. And sometimes 
people just need to be handled and not like you know hard but not all extra soft either see one of the many many reasons why i just i couldn't do it um interesting so it's funny that you said about couples because i did i told my husband and we don't have any marital problems we that's one thing i think that i know is like the foundation that keeps our relationship rolling is because we communicate and always respectful. And I, you know, when you've been in enough bad relationships, you learn what not to do. So when you come to the one you're supposed to be in, you already know. I mean, those are my thoughts, but I thought it would be a good idea just in case there's something he's not saying or something I'm, you know, I'm not saying or little ways we may feel that we may not feel is, is enough to share. But he was like, no, no, he was not interested. <laughs> and I had to tell him, like, I'm not saying we have any any issues, but to me, I look at therapy as kind of like, what you call it, like proactive. Mm-hmm. Nothing than reactive. Right. So do you see that a lot? Do you have a lot of people coming just to be proactive versus reactive? Most of the time it's going to be reactive, mostly reactive. An issue has arose and we need to solve this problem that we're having. So most of the time the problem is already there by the time they get to us. Hmm. Do you think more people, not just couples, but people should do some sort do like proactive therapy? Is that a I term? It's not a term, but we just made it one. We sure but, did. I'm copyright that thing. <laughs> I really think that people should go to therapy before a problem arises because that that gets you to a place to where we could try to prevent something from arising. If we could have prevention, then we won't need much intervention if that problem arises because we already figured out the solution before because we're trying to prevent it from actually happening. So if people were to go to therapy before a problem arises, it would be very beneficial. It will keep you level-headed and it can help you reduce stress. And sometimes we don't even know that we're stressed. Mm. I, I like that. I think that's a great idea because if you think about, you know, you take vitamins, not because something's wrong, but you want to prevent, you know, maybe getting something that you wouldn't get, so to speak, or but, you know, whatever you do, you know, you get your oil changed. You don't wait to hopefully you don't wait to after your motor has dried and blown up because you didn't have oil in it. I think that's a great idea. And more people should do it. Something I said, you know, my insurance does cover therapy now. And I know that hasn't always been the case with different insurance companies. But that's something I tell people like you don't know until you call or look into it and stuff so I like preventative care instead of like oh my gosh I'm about to hurt everybody (laughs) reactive care you know if if we have done something like some of the people that we see on the news you know after they have committed a crime it's now we have a mental health problem Mm. but if that could have been prevented then maybe this crime could have been prevented 
Because you always hear, a lot of times you hear people um, that knew them say, well, in school, they did do X, Y, and Z. And some stuff, if you know X, Y, and Z is not normal behavior, don't wait till after they committed the crime to to do something about it. That's because I see any sign of crazy. I'm calling, so I promise. Right. But I think what happens even in the schools, sometimes those teachers get accustomed to a child acting the way that they act, that it has become norm for them. Mm. So they don't, they no longer see a problem with it because this is what they always do, you know? So it, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's now become a norm. Even as adults will say, like somebody does something and will say, oh, they just like that, or oh, that's just their personality, and even when it's something way wrong. Right, we do that a lot. That's why I keep mace. I will mace everybody from my pets to family members to people on the street. Yes. Do that. <laughs> that's just my personal, because I, I love my dogs. They like my extra kids, but just in case they get crazy one day, yeah. And I advocate and don't nobody report me. My dogs are up to date <laughs> and in health. However, we have all seen dog attack videos. Okay, so how, how can women take care of their mental health before it becomes a mental illness? Um, I believe they should first seek the therapy and know that all therapy doesn't require that you're going to need medication. Some some counseling can be done without medication. Um, but make sure you go to counseling. Start surrounding yourself with positive people, not anyone that's going to drag you down, and then not anyone that's not doing anything for themselves. Hmm. You have to have a person take care of themselves as well. So they're not doing fine with their mental health. That's not someone you will want to surround yourself with. You need someone that's going to be able to hold you accountable and lift you up when you're down. So I read this thing on Facebook the other day that says, don't pour, don't drink from where you cannot, no, don't pour from where you cannot drink. Mm. And to some extent, I understand that because if you have a group of friends and you're constantly pouring, but no one's pouring back into you, how is that going to be beneficial to you? You're going to be left empty and they're getting full. There's a, a thing I put on um, either Facebook, Instagram, one of them oh, shared a while back. And I keep saying, because I've mentioned this quote quite a few times on the show, and I keep saying I need to go back and kind of post it again so people that want to share to see it or whatever would see it. Um, but everybody knows I'm kind of like really weeding social media down to the bare minimum because I do believe social media affects your mental health. It most definitely can because we see the portrait, we see the other people's lifestyle, and we're like, oh, we, we want this. And, oh, this is what I want. Especially if you're a single woman and you see nothing but married couples on your status mm-hmm. or you see people in relationships. But that's not always what it, what it is, if that makes sense. Just because you see it on Facebook don't mean that's the reality of it. So we get a false reality with social media. And that's how we base how we want things to be in our reality. And sometimes that is not healthy because then you're going to start comparing yourself. And then once you start comparing yourself to other people, you're diminishing your um your goodness 
in the things that you have to offer to somebody. And I could honestly say this, when I post a picture, which, you know, I rarely do these days because just because of where I'm at mentally. Um, and I feel like some my words of encouragement is better than me somewhere else. But I guarantee you, if I post a picture that I took, I took five to ten pictures before I posted it. That was before. You know, now I'm I'm loving my aging self. Cause that's like a whole other issue. Like, but do you mm-hmm. think, um, Oh, I never said the quote. So the quote says kind of like, be mindful of those that come to feed the soil or pick the fruit. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna that's let good. y'all meditate on that for a second, but I'm telling you when I read it, I'm, I could have wrote that, but I didn't. I just posted it from somewhere cause it makes sense. And we are in the, um, day and age that you know if you're not mindful you're going to be around a lot of people picking your fruit and then your tree's empty right do you think social media has caused more you know an uptick of mental health issues since social media has really really been out there i would say yes i think social media has caused a lot of mental health issues especially for children um Mm. because they now can get bullied over the web and then, again, people portray different things on social media, but that is not the reality of their life. So as far as kids, I will say yes, also, as far as adults, but more adults that aren't mentally there or mentally aware that they have these issues that they haven't resolved from childhood. Mm. Well, we're going to go ahead and, and, you know, it's been a, very interesting show and of course write Queen Donna's name down because she will be on for us to hit a couple of other topics but we probably will revisit this again to hit it from the perspective of mental health for kids Uh, because a lot of times our kids are hurting around us and we're not addressing it and one of the reasons probably because we hadn't addressed or even admitted to our own correct Correct. And I think a lot of us as parents, um, we didn't have mental health back then as much as we do now. So it's like, get out your feelings or don't wear your feelings on your sleeve or suck it up, like we mentioned earlier before, not attuning or attending to their feelings. And kids have feelings and their feelings are valid. We have, as parents, it's our duty to make sure that we're open and aware of their feelings so we don't cause more damage than what they already experienced. Because what we, a lot of times we think we know what's going on with our kids and they could be having a whole different experience, you know, at school or at, you know, work if they're old enough to work. And so like maybe I've always been really conscious of what I said to my son, what I allowed around him. And I'll take some stuff like you are great in those things, but I have other, not other kids, but I have nieces. And I was like, I need to start while they're early as well. You know, because school's only getting harder. You know, what they have to deal with in elementary. You know, I sent them some books to about loving, you know, their skin and loving their hair. And of course, my older niece is like, this is a baby's book. I was like, you just read out loud to your sister. That's it. That's your job. 
because I know she'll internalize it. But anyway, um, how can the audience get in touch with you? They can go to higher underscore above average 2015, or they can go to gracefully purpose counseling. So I have two Instagrams. And as far as Facebook, you just type in my name and you will find me. Well, thank you so much again, Queen Donna. I have learned a whole lot. So audience, family, friends, now it is time for this session's homework, which is why we call the show Define You Radio Classes and Session. Queen Donna, what is the homework for this week? So the homework for this week is to take an inventory of yourself. Identify your strengths and your weaknesses as well as your fears. Okay, y'all hear that. So it's self-inventory this week. I can think of my strengths easy, but when it comes to my weaknesses, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, nobody really wants to think about that. But I know definitely patience is a, is, has been, I'm working on, I'm getting better as I get older, but patience is that one thing. So with that being said, thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to Define You Radio. If you got something out of today's session, Make sure you share with your family, friends, and foes. Go ahead and subscribe and leave a review. Don't forget to connect with our guests and connect with us on social media at The Define You. And remember, your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition. And what you do with that is up to you. <laughs>